Hi, welcome to the More Clients Podcast. I'm Ian Brody of ianbrody.com and with me today is John Warrillow, author of The Automatic Customer and the founder of the Value Builder System, which um, allows coaches and advisors to build a recurring revenue stream by teaching business owners how to add and create value in their business. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Ian. Fantastic. John, I am going to jump straight in and start asking questions. Uh, your first book that I think many people will already know you for was Built to Sell, which was all about building that saleable business that allowed you to kind of step back from the day-to-day operations. What was it that took you from there and towards looking at subscription businesses and recurring revenue? Yeah, it was an interesting journey because you're right. The, the built to sell talks about how do you create a, a valuable company. One of the things uh, that was mentioned in the book was this notion of recurring revenue and the importance to be able to demonstrate to an acquirer that your business is going to continue to mm-hmm. succeed when you leave and, and go to the golf course, the beach, whatever you want to do. And but I didn't give it enough attention, I think, in retrospect. One of the things uh, we do at the Value Builder System is we look statistically at what drives um, the valuation of a, of a business, and we look at different uh, factors. And one of the factors that we've seen contribute enormously to the value of a company, in fact, last time I checked, I think it increases the value of a business by something like 20% if you have at least half of your revenue coming from recurring, recurring sources. And there are examples of, of having much much bigger multiple increases. Yeah, I think you mentioned in the, in the book about um, kind of an alarm, in, alarm installation companies. If all their revenue comes from the installation itself, it's X, but if, if, if it's actually the maintenance and the recurring revenue, it's kind of 3x or something yeah, like that. Yeah, this is an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, fact. You're right, because it, uh, alarm companies, the guys who install home and you know, security systems in your home or office, you're right. If all they do is the installation, uh, they, they're trading currently at about 75 cents for every dollar of revenue. Right. Uh, so if you have a million dollars of revenue, it's worth 750 grand. If all you do is the monitoring and you outsource the installation, all you do is that delicious $29, $39 a month recurring monitoring revenue, uh, they trade about $2 for every dollar of revenue. So if you've got a million-dollar security company and all you do is recurring revenue, it's worth about $2 bucks, or to your point, about three times mm. that of the installation revenue. So yeah, recurring revenue across the board makes a company more valuable. And so I felt like I'd given it got a short shrift and in, in, in built to sell. So I wanted to, to kind of write that wrong and do an entire book on 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 recurring revenue. And and the kind of twist here, Ian, is that you know it, it, when people think recurring revenue or subscription models, a lot of people think, oh it's, you know, magazines or, mm. or software. And uh, what I wanted to do is really make the point um, that that Recurring revenue is important for every kind of business. I mean, business coaches, accountants, um, professional services companies that traditionally don't have any recurring revenue. I mean, you're always kind of living you know, project to project. They can create recurring revenue too. And that's something you found in your own business, wasn't it? You had a couple of uh, attempts at, at creating recurring revenue. One not so successful, but later more successful. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a... Um, uh, a, a market research and consulting firm, and we had a special niece where we worked with very large enterprise companies, so big you know, British Telecom and IBM and others, and we helped them understand the small business market. But it was, while it was a successful business on paper, I mean, we made lots of, you know, we had good profits and so forth. It, it was a very debilitating business to run and and stressful because we started out every month at zero. 
right? Mm. Um, and so we had to scramble and kind of remake the business every month and try to get projects and and then we'd live that roller coaster life of having too much work and, and we'd have, you know, too few consultants and they would be all burnt out. And then if we hired too many consultants, we wouldn't have enough work. I mean, it was just this nightmare. And so I tried to create uh, a recurring revenue model by creating a subscription. So instead of offering project-based stuff, we did um, subscriptions where for a fixed annual fee, you would get all of our market research. And the research didn't change. It was, it was one piece of research to provide it to all of our subscribers. And the mistake we made, and you're alluding to the, to, the, um, uh, to the failure, the mistake we made the first time I tried it was I did both business models in parallel. So we said, we've got this great shiny new object over here. It's called a subscription model. Uh, but if you still want to use this over here as a custom you know, consulting shop, uh, we'll do that too. And so what we found and by offering both is that most of our customers listened politely as we described the subscription model and opted to continue to do business with us in the old way. Um, I think in retrospect, you know, everyone wants a custom solution. Everyone thinks their problem is unique. Uh, when, as we know, many of the problems are exactly the same and don't require a custom solution, but people think that way. And, and also we had the, the added problem um, that we were working with these massive companies, again, IBM, British Telecom, that weren't really used to buying cookie cutter products. And so we failed that first time around in creating the subscription model. Um, I got a few people to subscribe, but more people didn't. And so we, we had this kind of half-pregnant thing where um, it, was, it was very difficult to keep both business models running uh, at the same time. But eventually, I think you, you – you, I mean, your current business, for example, is more of a – more of that subscription model. Yeah, well, to finish that story, Ian, um, we kind of put our tails between our legs, turned off the subscription, and went back to doing you know the traditional consulting. And, and I took another run at it uh, about two years later. And I and I said, you know, to hell with it. I I don't want to run a consulting business ever, you know, anymore. So I'm willing to to bet the farm. And if it fails, well, then I'll go do something else. I'll start another business. I'll, I'll get a job or whatever. And so. We turned off the custom consulting. We went back to the same customers, you know, IBM, British College, all these guys, and we said, look, um, we changed our business model. We're no longer offering custom consulting. If, we can, if you want to still do business with us and you think what we do is important, it's this model or nothing. And that ultimatum was what made the difference, in my view, as I look back on it all these years later. Uh, giving customers the ultimatum forced them to make a decision. And it forced them to pay attention to what we were offering in the subscription. They, they all of a sudden changed the nature of their question. Instead of just answering politely, sitting politely and, and listening to our spiel, they started asking very specific questions. Well, how many research reports would I get? Um, how many tickets to your events do I get? What, you know, what exactly do you, do you research and how does it work? And what are my access to the analysts and so forth? And you could tell by the way they were asking questions, they were seriously considering. And long story short, we were able to get uh, but nine to ten, nine and ten of our customers to move over to the subscription model. We quickly replaced the old ones that didn't with new subscribers because what you find when you do one thing is you become much more referable. Um, so you get you, you get more inbound referrals. We ultimately built that up to a few hundred of uh, these Fortune 500 co- companies. Something like 40% of the Fortune 500 were subscribers to that company. So again, we had J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, IBM, Visa, Mastercard, Google, eBay, Apple. All these guys are subscribers. We ultimately 
uh, were acquired by a public company in 2008. So that uh, that's the story uh, of the the consulting company that we we changed. One kind of big flop, and then um, made some changes, and we're, we're able but to it, get it. But built. it shows that you know, as you as you explain in the book, almost any business can have some form of subscription or recurring revenue in it. I think you're right. Yeah, I think, I think we, we are seeing that happening a lot right now. If you look at the way, uh, you know, you know, Microsoft used to go off and buy Microsoft Word, Adobe, you'd buy Photoshop. Now both of them are encouraging you to join the Creative Cloud or Office 365. But in the book, you also mentioned flower suppliers and printering providers, even restaurants who yeah. are doing subscription models. And of course, we're getting lots of consultants and trainers and coaches are looking at delivering their service via membership programs, some form of subscription, rather than one-off purchases. Um, why do you think there's, there's such an interest and a growth in terms of subscription models right now? I mean, is it that as consumers we're becoming more accepting of a subscription model, or is something else kind of driving it? Well, I think there's a few factors. Uh, you've heard of the sharing economy where people are less obsessed with buying things outright and and more inclined to share. So we're we're all we're, a lot of us are using car sharing services like Zipcar, AutoShare, um Airbnb is a big success in the United States where it's no longer necessary to go buy a vacation property. A lot of us are joining vacation clubs, etc. So there's this sharing economy that's making it you know, it's okay not to buy the Microsoft 365 box of CDs and own it perpetually forever. The value proposition, uh, if you subscribe, is, look, we're going to automatically improve the software every day, and you get the latest and greatest you know, uh, security patches and everything else that you might need by just subscribing. So, so there's the sharing economy. Technolo- technology also plays a big part in this, I think, Ian. In, in, if you look at technology mm. – um, uh, we're much more comfortable doing business online these days, mm. right? So our banking is now all done online. We pay our bills online. Um, and and even though there are the odd security breach, which more, much more of our uh, you know security, we're placing much more security in, in these systems. And if you think about the backbone, a lot of these uh, subscription companies – it it is running on the internet. I mean, if you, you use the example of a membership website, um, thewoodwhisperer.com is one of my favorite examples of this. Uh, he offers how-to advice for hobby cabinet makers. Mm. So if you like working with wood and you're thinking about, you know, uh, getting involved in creating um, some some wooden like products made of wood. Uh, you, wardrobes and so forth uh you can subscribe i don't know what he charged 100 bucks a month or something like that and you get um all these videos and how-to knowledge well if you think about it that Technology's play is, is really enabling that business model because technology allows him that the wood whisperer to get subscribers all over the world. You create videos that get uploaded that can be accessed all over the world. The billing platform is all done through credit cards, all done in the cloud. So, so you're right. I think while the the guys like Microsoft are all moving to subscription, it goes well beyond that. Mm. Uh, you mentioned um, you know flowers and and consultants are all in this business of kind of, and I think technology is enabling it. To answer your question quickly, yeah, and that I mean that's a really good point because technology is working both in terms of reach because it's allowing you to narrow a niche, and so that that one guy who's doing his woodworking stuff might have been the greatest expert in woodworking in the world, but even a few years ago, if no one could find him from around the world. 
um, he couldn't build up a big enough customer base to make a kind of small subscription model worthwhile. But now he can both deliver and be found by anyone in the world. So he can have that really, you know, he can become preeminent in that small niche. Exactly. Um, in a way that just, whereas previously, if you wanted to be global, you had to be big in general to, um, to, to, to kind of hit enough people. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, another good example of this is New Master, <clears throat> excuse me, New Masters Academy based in, um, in California. Uh, they offered all you can eat uh, library of how to videos on, on becoming an artist. So if you want to learn how to be, uh, do pottery or you want to learn how to do watercolor painting, mm-hmm. uh, you subscribe. I think it's for 29 bucks a month. You can have access to all these how to videos. Well, before New Masters Academy, I mean, the, the alternative Alternative was you had to sign up for a community college, uh, and you probably got a, a community college level teacher that might not have been the best artist, uh, but it was the, you know it was a local person who was kind of a, a pretty good you know at, at doing that and could teach that. Now with New Masters Academy, they can literally find some of the best art teachers in the world to teach some of these modules. And whether you're in Holland or uh, Hong Kong, you can access this library of, uh, of how-to videos. So, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right. This notion of, 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 of broadcasting has enabled very, very narrow casting at the same time. You can mm. pick a very tiny niche and broadcast it very widely. So uh, I think that's a, a big point. Okay, so if – and for people – kind of listening to this podcast, a large number of people are going to be in that kind of information provision type business where they're a consultant or a trainer or a coach or or some kind of service provider um, and probably looking at that thinking, you know, well, this could work for me because I provide information, I provide value. Um, that that in itself um, is, is useful. But So if they're thinking of then moving towards a subscription model, how does that impact your marketing? Are you, do you have to do different things to win a subscription customer to, to winning a one-off customer? It's a great point. And there are many, many uh, things you've got to do differently in your marketing. Um, when, you, when you think about the marketing of a subscription, it is, I think it's a much, just philosophically, it's a much bigger ask than mm. a buying a one-off you know, thing. You're, if you want to use an analogy, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, if you want to use a dating analogy, you could, you could think of buying a transactional product. Like if you were a consultant and you built a, you created an ebook, friend, for 10 pounds, you can download the ebook. Um, that's kind of like a one-night stand. Right, you meet someone at the bar, you go home together, and you know there isn't a big commitment to one another. Uh, you have a little fun, and you move on. The subscription model is is a little bit like a marriage, right? Where you give up a little bit of the freedom to shop around. In other words, you make a longer term commitment to the supplier. But at the same time, you expect and hope that the supplier uh, has got your best interest at heart mm. and spends more time thinking about you as a subscriber of what you need than you know going and finding in the next transactional customer. So that's kind of philosophically what you've got to. I think you need to sort of make that headspace change. Um, you know, tactically, there's a few things. You know, one when you think about the subscription, think 10x versus 10 percent. What I mean by that is that. To subscribe and and get married to a company, in other words, um, the value proposition needs to be so huge, so much better than a transactional relationship because, again, you're giving up some of that freedom. So people aren't going to subscribe to to save 10%. 
they're just not. They're gonna they're gonna keep their freedom and say, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna buy stuff when I need it. Mm. Uh, I'll buy your ebooks in when I need them. I don't I don't need to commit. So they're gonna they're gonna have that philosophy. But if you say, look, you know, by subscribing, you're gonna get 10x the value than buying each of my products individually. You be, you know, it becomes much more compelling value proposition. Give you an example. Again, to go back to New Masters Academy, uh, where they do the art lessons on subscription, um, the, the, the alternative is you go learn how to do, you know, watercolor painting at a local community college and you might pay six to eight hundred dollars for a workshop. And so for thirty bucks a month, you're getting a lifetime's worth of art lessons versus, you know, a one-off module of six to eight hundred dollars. So again, 10x the value proposition. Netflix, I think they're up to nine, you know, nine ninety-nine or ten bucks a month now. But for, for that, you get literally thousands and thousands of television programs and movies to watch. Uh, Spotify, a library of more music than you could ever consume in a lifetime versus buying you know, individual songs from iTunes. So I think you know, the, the onus, if you're going to build a subscription model in the sales and marketing of it, is, is, you, is you're asking someone to get married. And therefore, your value proposition has to be literally kind of 10x what it would be for a one-night stand. You know, I think that's really interesting. Is you, I think the um, that uh, I forget what you called it, the New Max Academy, the uh, the art college thing. Yeah, new. Yeah, it's New Masters. New Academy. Masters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the the um, that really, I think it's a really great analogy, or very very close to the model. A lot of people listening might be thinking of doing, in that they're they're providing kind of expertise and and showing people how to do things. So let's say you were a sales trainer, for example. Um, the way they, they've done things is they've played both sides of the equation. So their offering is firstly cheaper than you could get, than people could get locally by going to a local community college. Um, but it's also way better. It's, it's, you know, it's the world's best artists teaching things or art teachers teaching things rather than just the local guy. And I think, so if you were a sales trainer thinking, I want to have a membership site, I guess you've got to think not only, well, if people buy my stuff through the membership site, it's cheaper than hiring a live sales trainer. You've also got to think, yeah, but I've got to make sure that the, the, I, the my training that they get through the site is also seen as way better and world class compared to the stuff they could just get from a local guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I mean, you know, what we see, you know, there, in the book, there are nine different subscription models. And so one of the ones I think you're referencing now is the membership website model where you're right. You, uh, you, you can have a, a membership that pays a monthly fee and they get access to content, typically, you know, proprietary, uh, um, discussion boards and discussion groups and so forth. Um, what we've seen with membership websites is that there are both business-to-business and business-to-consumer models. In the business-to-consumer model, it's very hard to make uh, to create a successful business in a business-to-consumer uh, model. The Wood Whisperer might be one of the only ones uh, that I'm aware of, uh, or one of the most successful, but there are many more that are less successful. Um, but with a business-to-business membership site, they become much more economically viable because when you're providing information to somebody that helps them make money, all of a sudden they're willing to pay a much dearer premium mm. for that than they would for just interesting information. So a very clear and explicit ROI and business case for it. 
Exactly, exactly. So, you know, a, a good example of that would be contractorselling.com, which is a membership website for plumbers and electricians. And the value proposition says, hey, we're going to help you make money as a contractor or an electrician. Well, that's a very different pocket to, to draw from, if you will, than, uh, you know, a membership website about, uh, you know, things to do in Italy where that's a, that's a, that's something that people do when they're off time and maybe aren't willing to pay as much money or attention to something like that. So the other benefit of a membership website for folks who are thinking of doing a membership website, um, is that you also have additional revenue streams that come from your members, right? So most people who run a membership website will also run, uh, you know, some group coaching or they'll do events or workshops. And of course, the members are much more likely to attend those, those activities than, uh, you know, non-paying or just opt-in email subscribers mm. who haven't made a, you know, commercial relationship. Once you start Paying for something, even if it's seven dollars a month, as, as you probably know, Ian, you know that changes the dynamic. The trust is created. There's a commercial relationship, and it's just so much easier to sell a much bigger ticket item to someone who's already got an economic relationship with you than someone who's just kind of uh, nibbling at the seams without having kind of pulled out their credit card yet. That's right, and I mean that that kind of making the case for an entry level offer where you're almost giving something away just to get someone on board as a paying customer. Because it, because there's that psychological shift where they're a paying customer and they, they, I suppose in some ways it's also a bit like the, the kind of Amazon Prime example you give where once people are a customer, they're way more likely to buy almost to make the most use of. That's right. Being, 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 being a member. Well, I've paid my hundred dollars or whatever. I'm going to get everything from Amazon now. So I get the most from this hundred dollars I've paid. Yeah, if you you know we talk in the book, there's a lot of a lot of talk about Amazon and Prime in particular. But you know, in in some of the research, what we discovered was that when you subscribe to Prime, you're absolutely right. The the consumer's reaction is, I don't want to get my money's worth, and so they start buying a much broader set of products from Amazon than they would have before they became a Prime customer. A part of it is the free shipping, uh, but but the other part is this notion of, well, you know, darn it, I've just paid a hundred dollars for this. I you know I want to get my money. Worth and so that's a that's a, a change in behavior. So we definitely see that. I mean, another example from the book is um, Anne Holland. Uh, she used to run eMarketer mm. and or, excuse me, marketing, marketing profs. Uh, uh, it's a marketing process. In any event, I can't remember the exact uh, uh, company that I'm referring to. But what the the, the story that I recall uh, was that she put on a very large uh, scale conference, which would which she charged people you know something like fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars to attend. Um, uh, but she also offered these seven dollar uh, white papers. And you know, I put the question: Why on earth would you bother with the seven dollar white papers when you could sell a ticket for you know fifteen or eighteen hundred dollars? And she said, "Well, it, because the guys who buy the seven dollar white papers are just infinitely more likely to go to the actual fifteen hundred dollar conference than try to market the conference on its own. Mm. So the seven dollar white paper becomes this nice little door opener uh, to 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 the larger scale purchase." Actually, that that the, the question about the kind of low cost offer brings up an interesting. Um kind of comparison because I think there's one argument that says, well, you're talking about um you know subscriptions uh for providing information. Well, you know, isn't everything already available for free on the internet if you look hard enough? Why wouldn't people just go off and find stuff? Why would people be willing to pay for your information 
when they could probably just find the equivalent information elsewhere. And I guess is that a challenge you see for membership programs where people are primarily, sh- you know, providing information? Absolutely. And so the the advice there is to is to get absolutely micro niche. So uh, you know, don't create a sports fan <laughs> a membership website. It'll fail because you can, as you as you rightly put, you can c- consume as much sports information free as you could ever possibly want. Uh, but if you wanted to create a curling membership website for amateur curlers, uh, that actually might have some legs because curling is such an obscure sport that for people who are passionate curlers, there just isn't enough information for them to consume. The local newspaper might run one curling story a winter. Uh, but if you have such an obscure interest, uh, you can't. So, for example, to go back to, to, to your audience, if you've got a sales trainer, um, that's probably not going to cut it. There's just too much free information mm. out there about general sales information. But if you've got a specific niche like you know, selling for uh, lawn care companies or selling for women, or you know, selling uh, a specific you know attribute of selling like negotiation yeah, skills, specific or, like horizontal versus vertical niche. Yeah, right? yeah, you've got to get a very tiny niche um, and start with very, very, very slim, thin you know, slice of the market. But the, you know, there are nine different subscription models, and I don't want to get too obsessed with this notion of the only you know the only way to do it is a membership website. Indeed, the, yeah. The, one of the other ones that some of your listeners may find interesting in. Um, is is the is the very kind of simple, if you'll excuse the analogy or the uh, the the irony uh, name we gave the simplifier model, and that is the subscription model where the value proposition to the consumer is we're going to simplify your lives, and so the 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 what this membership website what the what the subscription model looks like typically uh, is we do business all the time. Um, let's just simplify this whereby instead of you having to call me and telling me to come uh, do something for you, uh, we'll just agree that this is what we do every month and I'll just send you the same bill once a month and we'll just create this service contract. So a good analogy would be a swimming pool company. Uh, instead of, you know, you know, going in, opening up the swimming pool, waiting for the customer to call and say, Oh, I need some more chlorine. Uh, you know, at the end of the season, you know, waiting for the customer to call and say, Can you come close the pool? Um, say, Look, we do the same stuff for you all year. And, and it's probably easier for you to have this thing kind of set and forget. Uh, so why don't we do this? Why don't we have an annual pool agreement where we agree that we'll come and open it up in the spring. We'll come every two weeks and test your water. When you need more chemicals, we'll make sure you have them, you know, bottomless bowl. And at the end of the year, we'll come and uh, close up the pool. And we're going to do that for the fixed annual fee. And you'll just know that we've got your back and you can go back to enjoying the swim pool. Customers love the peace of mind of knowing that something's taken off their to-do list. And so if you're a consultant and you find yourself doing a very similar project for your customer every year, a good example in the, in the consulting space would be you know, if you're doing marketing consulting and you've got a customer who has you manage their, their SEO, their search engine optimization or search engine marketing, their Google AdWords campaign as an example. Well, it's the same stuff every month, right? You've got to go through, look at the AdWords, figure out which ones are performing, get rid of, you know, create your negative keywords, do all that stuff. It's basically the same. 
So create a subscription model where you say, look, for a fi- you know, fixed monthly fee, we're going to do this for you. And even that, uh, even though it doesn't involve a lot of technology, it doesn't create a brand new business model, just having service contracts in your business will create peace of mind to know that you've got a very even, steady cash flow, makes your business much more valuable than the competitors doing still one-off stuff. It just um, becomes easy for the customer just to keep going every month, every year rather than to go out and find someone else who's going to do exactly the same thing. So in some ways, you, if you're doing one-off work all the time, you're making it just as easy for your customers to hire someone else as to hire you because they have to go through the process of specifying what they want every time. Exactly. On the other hand, if you just build the subscription model, it just becomes an easy life. Exactly. So that that's one of the nine. And, and again, that that applies. We, we see accountants now moving to fixed pricing mm. agreements where for you know fixed annual fee, they'll take care of all your bookkeeping and so forth. Um, you know, lots of different service provider, professional services providers are, are using this kind of um, simplifier model. And, and you, ne- you can't ever, you know, underestimate the 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 beauty of having something ticked off your to-do list. I mean, another good example in the business-to-consumer world uh, in the United States, this is, is Mosquito Squad. So these guys go and uh, deal with mosquitoes. And the thing about mosquitoes, if, if you, in England, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really have to deal with a lot of mosquitoes. But if, for, for listeners in the southern United States, southeastern United States, Alabama, Florida, et cetera, mosquitoes are a huge problem, and you can't deal – uh, you can't live outside during mosquito season. You just can't have a barbecue. If, if mosquitoes are out, I mean, it ruins your outdoor living space. And so this company, Mosquito Squad, goes and, and sprays an, an, you know, an EPA-regulated chemical um, that kills mosquito uh, eggs before they hatch. Because once you have mosquitoes, it's very difficult to get rid of them. But you can actually deal with the eggs. You can, you can, uh, you can stem the tide. So... They do it on a subscription model where they say, look, you don't have time to call us. And, and oh, by the way, if you wait until there's a problem, it's virtually impossible to get rid of them. Uh, so we know you're not going to remember to call us. So we're going to do this on subscription. We're going to pre- preemptively come to your home. You won't even know we've been sometimes other than the door knocker we leave on your door to let you know we've come. Um, and we're going to spray. And you can get back to just enjoying your life. And that'll just be a you know a fixed six hundred bucks a year fee. Um, well, their subscription model renew it something like seventy percent, mm. and so they know who their customers are going to be you know, months in advance. Uh, again, totally you, outside the consumer world. But go ahead. But but I think it just shows that if you if you think about any business model, if you put a bit of thought into it, you can come up with ways of converting one off into into subscription. It's 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 not it's not it's not simple, but it can be done if you think about it. Absolutely. And, and talking about retention, actually, you mentioned there the kind of retention model. There. I think that's another important factor for any subscription business, because if a subscription business has got a very low subscription um, renewal level, it's no longer a subscription business. It's a one-off business. So obviously, key to a subscription business is making sure that a significant number of your subscribers do renew every time. Um, what what have you seen as some of the kind of, obviously it's a big field, but what, what have you seen as some of the, the best ways of making sure people are retained in subscription programs? 
I mean, it first comes the, the, the first and most important is offering a great subscription. Uh, but even just having a good offering is not going to guarantee you. You've got to also have engagement. So people need to actually use what you're offering. Mm. So some of the lowest churn numbers, some of the, another said more positively, some of the highest retention rates are, are found with software that businesses use to run their business. So for example, uh, accounting software is, has a very high retention rate because the, you know, the company couldn't exist without being able to send its invoices, collect its receivables and so forth. So they tend to be kind of backbone like subscriptions. So the, the, the game, I think, once you've got a subscriber is, is finding ways to get them to use it. And I use the analogy, um, uh, you know, of an airplane flight in, in the book and talk about this notion of, you know, air, airplanes fly on these imaginary highways in the sky, right? So I think eastbound traffic is at even numbers and westbound traffic is at odd numbers. I could, I could get that wrong. Um, uh, but in any way, event, you know, you're always a thousand uh, feet away from a, an oncoming accident because they go on these kind of parallel uh, routes. And so, Nothing ever happens uh, in the air because there's always a thousand feet between the two planes, uh, going one going east, one going west. The, the challenge for the subscription company operators: you've got to be kind of a rogue jet that that <laughs> crosses through the flight path of an oncoming plane to get them to move because we all have these very entrenched, very intractable behaviors. And once someone subscribes, you've got a very short window, usually about ninety days to force a behavior change, to get your product, whether it's a membership website, member, whether it's a, some other subscription model, get your product adopted. And, and there's something magic about the first 90 days because that's the window that the honeymoon where a new subscriber has just made a, like an economic decision with you. They've made a decision to become a subscriber. That's your window to get them to change their behavior and adopt whatever it is you sell. If you lose that window and you pass through the 90-day threshold and you haven't gotten them to change behavior, they haven't started using your product, the chances that they churn are astronomically higher yeah. than if you engage them early. So it's it's a real game uh, around the ninety day mark. That's really interesting. I suppose it, you know if, if if you're selling a one off product, then if you're being unethical, you'd say it doesn't really matter whether people use it and get any value from it because they bought it. But with a subscription product, if people are not using it, not getting value from it, then they're going to unsubscribe. They're going to yeah, they're going to churn out. You're absolutely right, and it, you know. Um, which is why I think in a lot of ways, the subscription model is kind of like the perfect business model. Um, the, and when I say perfect, it's, it's self-healing in a way. What I mean by that is it's symbiotic. It, 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 if you get too out of whack, if you focus too much on acquisition at the, at the expense of caring for your existing subscribers, well, your existing subscribers are going to churn. And so by having that commitment, it forces you to sort of focus on your existing subscribers uh, more than going out and acquiring new subscribers. And so it, it kind of is a check and balance almost. Mm. Uh, so I think that's why you find some of the best companies, uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Spotify, uh, you know, they're uh, – they offer great, a great value proposition that people really love. Uh, and in part, it's because they're not just kind of you know, churning and burning uh, 
subscribers. They pay. They focus a lot of attention. I mean, Netflix, as an example, has created its own production you know division, and they're now creating some of the most successful programming out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, House of Cards is a you know Netflix original. Lots of uh, Happy Valley, a Netflix original in uh, in North America. So these are uh, are they're they're feeding the content pipe uh, because they're focused on existing subscribers. So I think it's a natural sort of again. Kind of naturally self-healing. Yeah, I think I think we could a good place. I think you can see that is software, isn't it? That uh, most of us, I think, if we ignore the the big firms, but most of us have bought a piece of software at one point that looked really great, and it was a one-off bit of software. But then, of course, in in six months' time, when this new version of the operating system comes out, or your browser upgrade, all of a sudden the software stops working, or then just not adding any new features to it, and because you've bought it one-off, there's no incentive for them. To keep, to keep maintaining it other than you complaining and them having to put up with that. Whereas with a subscription model, if they don't keep adding features to it, if they don't keep it working, don't keep you having a great experience, you'll unsubscribe and they'll lose their revenue. So it, exactly. it's, it, there is definitely a couple of, um, software services I've used where I'm paying monthly and I kind of begrudge it a little bit. I wish I could buy this one off, but the truth of it is if I'd bought it one off, probably that company might well have abandoned me and started off, started searching for the, uh, you know, the next new customer who wants what they've already got rather than the customer like me who wants, you know, the next level and more features and things like that. Great point. So that, that was retention. Um, for people who are just thinking and listening to the podcast and thinking, you know, this subscription model might work for me. I can see how it would work. I can see how I might have to change my marketing and, and, uh, and, and focus on retention. What's the best way for people to get going or get started um, thinking about implementing a subscription model in their business? Obviously, great first step would be to buy your book. Um, but yeah. what, what else should they be looking at or thinking? What's a good first step? You know, think about some of your most successful customer relationships. Uh, the ones that you'd like to to just replicate and stamp out, and, and ask yourself what it is that that defines that engagement model. How, how do they uh, engage with you? Uh, do you have a weekly call with them? Uh, do you send them a weekly update of what you're doing? Uh, what are the deliverables they get from you on a regular basis? I think that's the you know starting to model out that that ideal customer relationship and started to think about you know what elements of that could be created in a subscription model probably not all of the elements there but there may be some of the things that you do for some of your best customers um uh, that you could actually carve out into a value proposition um again focusing in on the customers that you that you want to serve that you enjoy serving um i think is a, is a good start uh asking yourself again which of these nine models work work well for you uh and again you could go so very simple so just basically putting your existing customers on on a on a on a contract on a service contract is a form of subscription and then you can get you know much more uh sophisticated in a subscription model you can go to a uh to a membership website as an example. Um, another example that may or may not be applicable for some of, of you uh, listening is the consumables model, where you can look at the things that you sell and ask yourself what runs out or what naturally changes. Um, so in the case of uh, a, a marketing consultant who wants to offer SEO or SEM, search engine marketing, search engine optimization, um, the beauty of that is that it's always changing. Mm. And that lends itself well to a subscription model. Uh, if you've got a static thing that you know, once somebody consumes it, they don't need it again, that's less 
um, ideal. But if you've got something that continues to evolve and changing as Google always changes its algorithm, as there's all new competitors bidding for the same words you want, I mean, there's just natural change and evolution. That's the ideal for a setting for a subscription model. And I guess you can find in almost any business, you can find that rather than thinking, well, like my whole, my business as a whole doesn't change much, but there's always an element that does change. And, you know, I, I guess, um, you've given examples uh, in the book of uh, companies like Data Monitor, et cetera, who are, um, the kind of research companies who are providing benchmarking. So benchmarking, you can benchmark something that, you know, as, as long as, um, customers are continually improving things, then a benchmarking service where you provide, um, you know, the latest trends and, and what's happening, um, with their operation. So even kind of accountancy, what are the latest things, um, that people are doing to reduce their, reduce costs, get better control, get better information. If you're gathering that information regularly, which you probably know from your existing customer base, some of the leading practices, then one bit of your business could be a benchmarking service, report, club, et cetera, that you then provide that information. So you kind of, out of all that, you know, it might only be 10% of your business that changes, but that's enough to set up a, a subscription business round. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so don't be afraid to find the one thing in your business that is, it may be a fairly small portion of your turnover today, uh, but it could also be the thing that, that has the, the foundation to create a subscription model. So, uh, uh, you know that that's a that's an important uh, piece. It's a, probably a difficult game to take an entire professional services practice and 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 move it into a subscription model. Mm. I think we'll find that some elements are less are less likely to be ideal for a subscription. Others are are more suited. So so yeah, don't be afraid to you know. There's an old analogy uh, that that I've talked about a little bit. This notion of building valuable companies to go back to where we t- we started in this interview. The, the notion of kind of building to sell and creating a valuable company. One of the paradigms that we need to get people to to, to sort of change their way they think is that a lot of small businesses, in particular, grow up selling lots of things to a few customers. Mm. And the most valuable companies typically actually turn that on its head so they sell just a few things to lots of customers. Mm. And it is it is a is just one of those very sort of nuanced ways to think, uh, but it can have a profound impact on the value of your company. Uh, you know, we see that at Value Builder System that the companies that have lots of customers and few products and services tend to do much better or much more valuable than ones with just a few customers and selling lots of things. And, and, and we fall into this trap all the time, Ian, because we as business owners typically are very passionate about what we do. We're typically an industry expert in what we offer. And therefore, when a customer sees that passion, they say, wow, you've been selling us widgets. Why do you sell us grommets? Because mm. you obviously know the industry. You obviously could you know, probably figure it out. And you look at yourself and say, sure, I could probably figure out how to sell grommets. And then you go a, d- a step deeper and start to sell another p- product or service to the same customer because they keep asking you more and more. And pretty soon you've got sort of two clients and you're generating 90% of your revenue from two clients and you're, doing, you're, you're an inch deep and a mile wide. And, and you're so, probably only you're probably not exceptional in anything other than that original thing you had. Everything else, exactly. you're just average. But the only reason you're getting the business is just easier for that client who already works with you. But of course, if they move on, if their demand drops, then ninety percent of your services you're unexceptional at, and no one's going to want them. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Got it. And so, and so again, headspace flip shift, if you will, sell a few things to lots of customers. Brilliant. Hey, John, that has been really helpful. T- ton of valuable information in there. You know, if people want to find out more about the book and subscription businesses 
and your work in general, uh, where should they go on the web? So the Automatic Customer, the book, uh, is available everywhere. If you go to automaticcustomer.com, uh, there's a set of buy links at the bottom where you can where you can buy the book. Uh, if you're in the UK, Australia, Canada, United States, there's there's different domestic providers for 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 you. Uh, and then if you're a coach, consultant, or advisor of any sort, uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you about offering the Value Builder system. It's a way for business coaches to create a recurring revenue stream in their practice by offering advice to business owners about improving the value of their company. So for that, you just go to valuebuildersystem.com, and there's a form you can fill out, and we'll get in touch. Excellent. That's brilliant. I'll put links up to uh, to both those pages underneath this podcast so thanks again john it has been a real pleasure i'm sure everyone listening got a tremendous amount of value so uh do join us again for the next more clients podcast on itunes or head over to www.ianbrody.com to subscribe i'll see you there cheers 